Hello listeners, it's Natalia Mota here. Thank you for listening to Arta Podcast, which simply shares stories behind art. For the last few months, I've been interviewing one of the most successful artists who based in Hong Kong. So if you are curious, you want to feel inspired, or hear how to be an artist in Asia, this podcast is for you. And if you want to learn more about the show, please visit artaapp.com and don't hesitate to leave me a comment. I would love to hear what you think about the show, what you would like to hear in the future, and anything really what is on your mind. Thank you so much. Hi everyone, my name is Natalia and I am your host. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Today I had this incredible chat with Tanya, who is an artist and also environmentalist. So what you will hear in just a moment is about her performing art and installations captured by beautiful photographs. She wants to spread awareness about environmental issues in a very unique way, using her art and her experience as an artist and also by her personal life. Um, and she has very, very uh, interesting way to do so, so to grab more attention and to, to be more visible. So if you want to know her tricks, how to get more audience and talk about very important yet sometimes hard subjects, stay with us. So one more thing, um, if you are listening to this podcast, uh, then you are listening to the, the full version. And if you are watching it on YouTube, then it's the shorter version uh, where I try to capture the most important moments. Yet, of course, if you are on YouTube and you want to know more about Tanya, she's super, super, super interesting person and artist. Um, just check out the podcast. And if you don't have much time, YouTube is the perfect place to be. So thank you so much and I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi Tanya, thank you so much for your time. How are you today? Hello, thanks so much for having me. I'm fantastic, thank you. It's such a pleasure to, to talk with an artist who is also engaged in, uh, in something extremely important. Uh, you are involved in uh, climate change, eco missions, uh, and uh, as we know, China is one of the biggest distributors of, uh, of pollution. So being in Hong Kong, I think it's a very, very important subject for, for many people. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about your about your background? Um, let's see this. I was uh, born in Portugal and... Oh, born in Portugal. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a very big cut and paste story to go to recall where I've been. So I was born in Portugal, South African parents, grew up in um, South America and in Europe and a number of places. So I've, I've always been very fortunate to see a lot of different cultures and to be experienced and exposed from a very early age. So in some ways, it's almost all I know. In other ways, it is um, something that's been a huge source of, of character building. So I, like, so I was born in Portugal, grew up in a number of different countries, was living in the UK, which is one of the places I've lived the longest. So between London and Hong Kong, these are the places I've lived the longest. And I was studying art in London 
when I, now this sounds like the opening to a joke, I went into a pub and I walked out with a project and, <laughs> and I really did. So I was in a pub in London with some friends on a Sunday afternoon and started chatting to the table next door. This man started telling us the story of his life. He'd lost his daughter and we, I was very moved by this. And he said, but you know, I've set up foundations in her name in a number of different countries, including Cambodia and Bangladesh. And I said, you should make a documentary about that. And he said, okay, are you interested? And I thought he was joking. And he mm -hmm. said, yeah, yeah, of course. And then the next morning he phoned me and said, what's the budget? And I thought, oh, goodness, he's serious. So put together a budget. And then before I knew it, I was making a documentary in Phnom Penh for two weeks during the hottest time of oh, the wow. year. And uh, went with my best friend who was a camera woman. And together we would never been to, to Asia. She's Polish. And so there we were, just in one of the poorest parts of Asia, hottest time of the year, in the middle of nowhere, and just kind of going, this is amazing. And um, two weeks, we, we made the documentary, went back to London, had a screening, and basically told everyone, thanks for coming, we've just bought one-way tickets to Cambodia, see ya. And, uh, and we did, we went back to Cambodia, lived and worked together with another partner for seven months, making documentaries about NGOs, art projects, artists, and then the two of them needed to return to London. And I said, I'll be, I'll join you super soon. I'll be right back. And then for four years, I <laughs> kept wow. on living in Cambodia. Wow. wow. And uh, so, so Cambodia and then uh, why Hong Kong? Like, what was so, the I was, so I was living in Cambodia. And in the meantime, my sister and her husband and children moved from London to Hong Kong, unbeknownst to me until they arrived. And um, so then my life started changing a lot. I was bouncing between Phnom Penh and Hong Kong and more extremes culturally and financially in any, you cannot imagine, but I really enjoyed the contrast between um, extreme, like $1 a day living for the populations. And then here is like shiny, sexy buildings, financial <laughs> hub and glossy. And so that when every single time one of them became too much, I had the opportunity to bounce back to the other one. So that was a really lovely dynamic. And I did that for a number of years. So yeah, Hong Kong. I started becoming very familiar with Hong Kong without actually properly living here, but really living a family life in many ways. I'd spend maybe two or three months at a time. Amazing, mm -hmm. amazing, amazing. And I just want to also touch base about uh, something very unique. So uh, you mentioned before the interview that every year you are visiting this very unique festival uh, on the middle of the desert called Burning Man. Could you tell us why it's so special for you? Yeah, it took me a while to figure out what it was about Burning Man. I mean, there are a million Burning Mans and everybody will tell you a million different stories and they're all true. And that's the amazing thing. Um, I have been going for a number of years and um, I go, I guess everybody goes for their own reasons, but mine really struck and hit home last year. I was there and I was in the middle of the festival, the middle of the event, middle of the week, nothing particularly big was happening, but I stopped for a minute and thought, what is it about this place that makes it so life-changing? What is the secret sauce to Burning Man? And um, I stopped and I looked around and, you know, 75,000 people in the middle of nowhere really kind of creates a certain dynamic. And as I was looking around, I would see people laughing, people crying, people just sitting quietly, people meditating, people dancing, people partying, you name it. Everybody was doing something. But the difference was between that and the rest of the world was that everybody looked very engaged. They were very on, they were very switched, they were very plugged in, in whatever stage of the emotions or actions they were in. And this led me to think, what is it about this place? Because despite popular belief, not everyone is on drugs and not everyone's yeah. there for the orgies. You know, people go, <laughs> that happens and that's absolutely fine, but there are a lot of different reasons to go. And what I came away thinking was that 
the reason Burning Man in invites so much creativity is because everyone's encouraged and invited to be um, expressive. So radical self-expression is one of the principles. It's based on 10 principles. And they really honor that. So whatever it is that you do in the real world, real world or that place, you're encouraged there to be completely yourself. So if your sexual preferences are secret to the rest of the world, there they can be expressed. If you have body issues or if you just want to be naked all day long, be naked. And if you, it doesn't, nobody really cares. It's really not a big deal. And mm -hmm. consequently, you find people feeling fully engaged in who they are. And I think that's my my research so far that's the that's my takeaway about why it's such a special place amazing and for you personally uh, i remember that you mentioned to me uh, that something very personal happened there so if you can if, if you want to share with us <laughs> Which what one it was, was what uh, was it i don't know i can't um, remember now you got married oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. During um, the festival. We did. My husband and I, um, we had planned this quite spontaneously um, and it felt very natural because our camp in Burning Man is we camp with the same people every year and we have this family dynamic whereby we only see them there and we really coexist intensely 24 hours a day. We share chores, kitchens, lives, stories, logistics, building. So it's very intense, but it's, it's very um, special. So we felt that it would be really uh, wonderful to share this experience with them. So we picked a piece of art in the middle of, a piece of art that resonated with us that particular year. You can never really tell what's going to be out there. Um, but this piece of art was a big um, metal installation of the word magic. Mm -hmm. And we gathered there on a Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. because we, <laughs> we knew we weren't going to get a lot of people. But then again, you'll always have strangers showing up. We thought, how cool would it be to have like naked strangers in your wedding photos? We're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. So 9 a.m., one, um, one of our camp members uh, led the ceremony. So she said some words and people had collected vials of sand and dust and shared stories and just, it was a Tuesday and in, in Burning Man, Tuesdays are tutu Tuesdays. So everybody's wearing tutus, apart from me, I was wearing like a wedding dress, but <laughs> so a lot of our photos have tutus in it and strangers. And it was, as we were standing around this piece of art, the artist came up to us. She happened to be there by chance. And she said, are you getting married? I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, here, have some pieces of the art. And she had these wow. metal birds that had formed the structure that she had, um, stamped out so she gave us these birds Aww. and those are the kind of things that just randomly happen there all the time then somebody was walking past and filming it and he said oh i happen to be making a documentary and you're in it and i'll send you the clip so, Aww, that's so nice. <laughs> i don't know how many places around the world that ceremony is involved in but it just oh, wow. it's something that makes me laugh and i and, and i like laughing so Aww, it's good. that's that's great and it's it's, it's so you right it's like <laughs> just uh, it's it seems like that that was a destiny to to do that it just felt uh, really just... fun and, and right and you, you can actually in burning man you can so we got we had our civil ceremony in hong kong so that our parents could be here my husband's father is 90 he wasn't going to make it out to the <laughs> desert so <laughs> we did really want him to be there so we had the civil ceremony here in hong kong and then we had the the festivities in, in burning man and um it was yeah it just felt very spontaneous and very fun and um mm -hmm. and burning man you can get married to a rock like people can they legally they can marry you there are registered ministers so you can get like married and divorced in 24 hours and you can marry an inanimate object. You can, it's just crazy. Like, everything happens out there. Crazy, crazy, yes. crazy. Oh yeah, I, I need to, I need to go one day because I just, <laughs> just hear the stories and it's just incredible. Like um, how this, this space, like just desert, it's bringing all this, this emotions and 
and uh, it's you know, not it's kind of uh, it's really nuts like I had no idea when I first was when it was first suggested to me I, I didn't really know what it was I'd kind of heard about it and I also knew that it was really hard to get tickets so I said mm -hmm. sure yeah let's go <laughs> and then when he actually managed to get tickets I was like oh bollocks because two things I don't actually like people very much and that the idea of being stuck in the middle of nowhere with 75,000 people and you can't run away yeah, that's it you're, yeah. you're there so I was really apprehensive because I'm quite an introvert and my husband very kindly a boyfriend at the time said okay why don't we just go for five days and if it's too much for you we'll leave I was there all week gone back every year since so that kind of surprised me and um and I don't like camping so it's like none of this really makes sense well, this, this is what actually I'm also an introvert like I mean if it's more than five people I'm already starting panicky yeah, panicky yeah. and, and I get and exhausted, like yes. just drained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what I'm worried about. But now you encourage me that it's it's actually if I can do it. Okay. Yes, trust me. <laughs> the funny that I love talk, talking about Burning Man because people usually go, especially in Hong Kong, they're like, "But what about showers?" And they whisper, "Yeah, like, what about showers?" And I go, "Oh no, there aren't any." And they're like, oh. horrified, like, "Oh, that's it. I'm not going." Without even going further beyond that, and it makes me laugh because. Imagine you get to the end of your life and are you going to be like, I had a shower every day, I was clean every day, I'm so happy. No, you're going to be like... Yeah, exactly. So the trade-offs between things, and this is not to say it's for everyone. It's not. Um, but if that's your barrier to entry, and it's like... And if you really want to shower, you can go in with your... You can go in with the caravan, you can go in with your aircon, you can go in in so many way. different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can uh, find a way. We can't because that's who we are and we've become but um yeah there are a lot of ways of doing it so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. awesome 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 and now as uh, we have a bit limited time i would like to start uh, to talk about your your projects mm -hmm. very important projects could you tell us what you are doing now in hong kong um i'm working at so i've really been looking at the space of eco-anxiety and eco-anxiety is the extreme um, chronic concern around environmental collapse so it looks very different for different people and when i kind of discovered it nobody was talking about it and i i didn't really understand what was going on with me but as i researched i understood that it's a thing and a lot of people experience it and that got me interested in the conversation of mental health and environment and communicating this to other people but uh in 2017 just to backtrack a bit i was invited to be part of a festival called green is the new black in hong kong so it's a festival celebrating consciousness around talks workshops uh there's a marketplace and i was invited to give a talk and to create art and um I was really drawn to the idea of, of waste, but in a different way. I didn't want to just make kind of trash art around like building more naive style art. I wanted to make something a little bit more impactful, I suppose. But I also had very limited time and the people I was going to work with weren't available. So I was faced between either I don't do this at all because my artistic integrity, blah, 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 or I just get on with it and see what happens. And I decided to get on with it and see what happens. And basically just started rolling uh, cling film from my local supermarket. Uh, like a dung beetle, I was rolling this ball of cling film to the point where it was 13 kilos. And um, I, ha I had to stop there because I couldn't roll it out my doorway and I couldn't roll it into the elevator, but I could have gone a lot bigger. And this was one person collecting cling film from my local supermarket over one week. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, we talk about plastic bags, we talk about straws, but what about all the other plastic that we don't really look at and how pervasive it is and how invisible and silent it is? And that kind of made me want to look at cling film and say, okay, cling film, it's your time on the spotlight now. <laughs> Here you go. And uh, so I started rolling this piece of plastic around the streets of Hong Kong and 
people really stared because it was weird and because it was like, what are you doing? How, how big it was? So I called him Paul, Paul the plastic ball. Uh-huh. And, um, so it's like a one, one meter by one yeah, meter was, kind of. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Wow. And he was heavy. I mean, I could, thinking back, I could have just made him hollow, but I was trying to make a point around the weight, mm-hmm. around the volume, around yeah. the time frame. Um, so I was dragging him down the streets of Hong Kong. So I started, bec- and I was dragging him because I needed to get him from my flat to the space. But while we were doing this, Alex Macro, the photographer who I now work with on a, on a more firm partnership, he was documenting me doing this. And we're like, but this is kind of part of the experience because people are, it's engaging people in the public who are pointing and staring and weirded out and confused. And, and it was really fun because it was such an unexpected but powerful experience. And the visuals became part of the ongoing story. And it made me think a little bit bigger about how to, how to create visuals and art that have an impact or that resonate with people that are not just sitting in galleries, mm-hmm. that are not just beautiful or something, mm-hmm. but actually very tangible. Mm-hmm. It have a meaning, right? So, so, yeah. the mission, so do you think actually the art is the most important or the idea is the most important for you? What was more important, the art or the, the message? The message, yeah. If, if the mission is the most important, what's... Uh... That's a good question and I'm not sure. I, I think I'm starting to explore this in greater depth and looking at being invited to create public arts in stationary places for the public. And so that's making me wonder what is the most important thing here? Is it to make something cute that people are going to, you know, different audiences need different things and different cultures resonate with different things and are more um, familiar with different styles. So it's, it's an ongoing dialogue. For example, I've got a project coming up in Saikung in December and it's a public space art and it's around waste and plastic Mm -hmm. and of course being in a public space you've got all the limitations and health and safety and all this which forces you into a more narrow spot which is fine that's the nature of the dynamic but it also makes me think then am I making something that's going to resonate with people who don't necessarily care about the environment who don't necessarily care about art and how so I don't have an answer to that yet. And I, think, and I think the deeper I go into this stuff, the more, the more questions come up. And that's the same for the questions around the environment as well. There is mm-hmm. no kind of like, I am this because I do this and I do that. If you do that, then this happens and that happens. And what happens with that? So mm-hmm. it's, there is no beginning, middle and end. It's just uh, asking the right questions, responding in the right way and mm-hmm. dealing with things as they come. So I feel mm-hmm. the same way about the artwork. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Could you describe a bit more about what you are doing with uh, Alex Macro right now? Because you've, you've been do, uh, doing the projects like already for, for a few years, right? Yeah, so, so we started in 2017 with that initial project. And then it became... Um, the reason Alex and I resonate so well is because we both come from art backgrounds and we lived in London and we have this kind of um, gung-ho attitude towards creating and this very much uh, spontaneous engaged feeling and we both feel the same way about it so when we come together about something it's just this very easy dynamic of bouncing ideas and you don't have to explain it's like Mm -hmm. I want to do something really bonkers okay great what does it look like and how there's no kind of like but if you know Mm -hmm. when how it's like Mm -hmm. all right how do we do this so that works really well because it feels like we don't have to start from zero every time we just get into it and then take it further so we've been working mainly on photographic projects and a lot of it's been around fashion, strangely enough. Um, Alex's background is fashion photography and advertising, so it's a natural dynamic for him. Um, I started getting into the fashion conversation by chance. I was invited to be part of a group on sustainable fashion 
two and a half mm-hmm. years ago. And within 20 minutes of that conversation, it started being about sustainability. So we created Circular Community Hong Kong. And through that, I um, started engaging more in the local community. And I went to a podcast recording about by Christina Dean from Redress, mm-hmm. where she was talking about how she, for one year, only got clothing out of a dumpster and was uh, wearing this to corporate meetings. And, just, <sighs> and she wasn't even like always washing it. And this is really amazingly beautiful, stylish, intelligent, well-respected woman in a very sanitized city such as Hong Kong, where people are total germaphobes, oh, yes. going on about how she would just, you know, dig things out from the dumpster and wear them. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And I thought, and I said then and there, that was the 17th, no, the 10th of May, 2017, I said, I'm for one year not going to buy anything new, just thinking, let's see what happens. And um, what date you started? 10th of May, 10th of May, 2017. Oh, I wow. Believe. Wow, wow, wow. So that was meant to be for one year. And I kind of spoke a little bit about it on social media, not thinking it's a big deal because it's not. It's not uh-huh. like I'm doing anything groundbreaking, but the responses were interesting. Uh-huh. And the first kind of questions were, well, what about your knickers? And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's a good question. But how, how funny talking in a social platform about your, your undergarments. But anyway, but the questions started becoming more interesting from people saying, oh, but that's easy to others going, oh, how will you survive? And... You know, so the, the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs, irrespective of that, um, it's been two and a half years and I haven't bought new clothes. And Crazy. Yeah. And it's been absolutely life-changing for so many unexpected reasons, sociologically, psychologically, philosophically, financially, time-wise, practically. Absolutely. So in every unexpected aspect, it's absolutely. been... Uh, and it's opened up lovely opportunities to have conversations about fashion because mm-hmm. when I do wear things and people comment on it, then it's like two minutes talking about that dress, trousers, whatever, and then the rest of it talking about secondhand fashion, waste, pollution, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a nice entry point. And I think fashion, like food, we all have clothing in our wardrobes and we all have food on our plates. Consequently, we're all part of that conversation around sustainability. It's not no longer the reserve of oil barons and things that happen behind corporate doors. It's every industry all mm-hmm. the time and it's a melting Absolutely. pot so we're all engaged in it and the fact mm-hmm. that the queen of england is talking about plastic straws kind of tells you that we've really reached a tipping point by the way beautiful top I have to say. <laughs> now disclaimer it's it's sequence consequently it's plastic which is super unsustainable and i know people will have um something to say about that but this was given to me by my sister who um often gives me her stuff that she no longer wears. Mm-hmm. So it's a circular system whereby I just take it on and give it a new life. Beautiful. And then when I've had enough of it or when it looks better on somebody else, they're welcome to take it as well. Beautiful. And so it, on it goes because mm-hmm. the idea is just basically to keep things in a loop mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, keep it in mm-hmm. use. It's, it's, it's so clever, I guess. And it's, uh, it's, it's just sad when you see like how many uh, outfits are just for one occasion and then they have it's just away weird and that just, we've, I, I, and I think it's quite, it comes from a place of innocence. We all enjoy fashion. Fashion is self-expression. It's tailoring. It's beautiful. It's craft. It's art. It's color. It's shapes. These things are all good. And it's natural that we want to mm-hmm. engage with them because it also gives us a sense of identity and pride and curiosity. But the fashion industry has changed so much that it's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot more sad that the fashion model has become so exploitative around environment and people along oh, the yes. whole production line that it's really impossible to ignore. And maybe 10, 20 years ago when there were the first rumblings about it, people could be like, yeah, but and now it's like, no, actually, <laughs> no, no, we really, we really need to address this. And I 
Yes, so for me, it, it's become so overwhelming that the only time I want to talk about fashion is in the context of sustainability. And the downside to that is that I don't, I don't have the capacity to just look at it as a beautiful object anymore. Mm -hmm. I've got so many other questions in my mind. Yeah. And uh, so uh, talking about the, the projects, uh, how, how, it's, uh, how, how, how you are proceeding it? Like, are you... So, because Alex, it's, 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 a, it's a photographer. You are behind the idea itself. From what I understand, could you tell us a bit more? Yeah, we, we bounce off very nicely. So um, Alex is the photographer and I uh, come up with the sets, the, the wardrobes, the props, the concept. But we are constantly um, in, in, in dialogue. So I wouldn't say it's my vision or it's his vision. It's we, we make the stuff we make because we're making it together. Mm -hmm. Like his career as a photographer is very established and very successful. And he does what he does, and there's no taking away from that. And the stuff that I've been doing is a little bit more eclectic and conceptual. But when the two come together, we bring this kind of dynamic to photography. So I would say that our medium is perhaps performance, art, photography, installation, because mm -hmm. it is about, I'm not selling anything. I'm not a model. I'm not there to promote a product. I am there to perform a situation, rather. And, to, and I use props at my availability to make people ask questions. So... I make clothing out of packaging and I wear maybe stuff like this, but it's to send a message. People, it would be helpful to move away from that idea that secondhand is dirty or for hippies or because you're poor or because. Mm -hmm. So let's reframe things and let's mm -hmm. re-question things and mm -hmm. let's put things in familiar yes, contexts. So it looks very glamorous, but then you look a little bit closer and my skirt's made out of uh, fruit packaging socks or my dress is made out of TV packaging. And that's, you, you know, we live in such a visual world where we're so inundated with images. If you, if you go online, you want beautiful images because you can scroll for seven weeks and you will have endless, bottomless supplies of beautiful images. So as a culture, we're almost uh, wired for it now. We expect it. Mm -hmm. So to, to play a little bit around that of, yes, there's an interesting image. It's punchy. It's aesthetically pleasing, but for lots of different reasons. So we work with different organizations. There's an organization called the Adventure Cleanup, where they basically took Hong Kong Island and challenged six teams over one month to go to the very hard-to-reach areas, so the very rocky, secluded beaches, and to not only clean up the trash, but to educate local communities. And there was mm -hmm. a prize at the end. So we worked with one of the organization, oh, with one of the teams and went to a very remote beach and photographed it before they cleaned up, so the day before. So this is a very small beach and it was just knee high in plastic, fridges, insane. Crazy. So we didn't even have to, like, I had no job, no work there with props because it was just like, put me here, <laughs> climbing out of a fridge and uh, yeah, here we go. So Alex does his magic with the lights and I look at the costumes and the styling and we work together about the angles and the light and what's going to work better. And off we go. And, you know, we're, we're two people. So it's not like we've got this massive production and budget and lights and trucks and fans and, and ball gowns. We don't. It's basically me and my secondhand clothing that we haul around and like alleys in Hong Kong and streets and buildings and kind of do things on the run because we've got to move fast. So it's very, um, yeah, I think the energy comes out of the spontaneity and the kind of opportunities and also framing Hong Kong in a very different way. Like nobody expects somebody to be dragging a bag of plastic around the streets and being photographed doing it and then having opportunities to speak about it in magazines, you know, and, and that's ha that has happened. And that to me was a real indication of there's, a, there's an opportunity to start this dialogue in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and as you said, it's, uh, it's uh, important. Like, if you, if you would try to uh, 
put something, show the plastic as something ugly, people probably will just turn away immediately. Because that's what we want to do and that's what we do every day. It's yes, like it's absolutely. dirty, it's a problem, I don't want to deal right? with it. Um, but if it's pleasing and then you have this this, this engagement, yes, then, then it's a completely different story. Um, and after, after being involved for two years, like, do you see actually changer people coming to you and saying, like, oh, how, how I can help, maybe I can do something, uh, how, it's, uh, how it's looked like? That's now. a good question. Um, we haven't actually positioned ourselves as anything yet. We haven't said, this is who we are, this is what we do. We've kind of been very opportunistic with situations that arise and opportunities. And now we're kind of looking at how do we ask for what we want in terms of how do we position ourselves to create something of value to other people as well. So this is kind of where my background or my most recent experiences with Burning Man and with the art stuff and with the experiences I've had kind of melt together because I've understood that here's um, people are always going to be interested in their own, their own story, their own visuals, their own identity, their own self-branding. And how do we turn that into something interesting around creating images that make people look like themselves, help them to radically express themselves, and to find different ways to find confidence. We're often told, you know, you've got to look the corporate type, you've got to look this type, these are the expectations if you're a woman, and be demure. Be, mm. um, maybe not. And maybe people themselves have never been made to feel comfortable or safe enough to explore. Maybe I like purple with red and to be half naked. Maybe I do. I don't know. It doesn't right. really matter. But why don't we create a space where you could explore that mm -hmm. and, and then style it uh, with secondhand fashion? Mm -hmm. and style it with props and settings made with as little waste as possible. I'm not going to mm -hmm. say zero waste because that's a, I, I don't know about the zero mm -hmm. wasteness mm -hmm. around anything. But I definitely know that within production and within art, there's a lot of single-use moments around creating the most elaborate, beautiful, money is no object, let's just make this beautiful setting and then just trash it to create the next one. And on and on it goes because we've been sold to throughout our entire lives and we are consumers. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really matter. So that mindset is already there. And as women, 10 times more, you know, buy this, look that part, be aspired to be this person. Be, And I, I'm really so over it. And I think that with this climate of crisis and, 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 economic, and environment rather, and animal species loss and temperature changes, here's a real invitation to completely re-question that whole system whereby you're made to feel um, less than what you should be. So buy this perfume, buy this highlighter, do this, you know, follow this Instagrammer. I'm really over it. So I kind of really want to step back from that and to celebrate people in their own context because that is the point of power and to help them do that through styling and through photography and through creating very unique visual identities. Mm -hmm. So that's a really long <laughs> answer to, to what we're looking at next. Great, 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 great. And, you know, it's maybe not a very arty question, but I'm, I'm so curious uh, if I would like to um, go in your path and, and start to, uh, instead of going to, uh, to a shopping mall, uh, go to a second, uh, secondary uh, closing shops, where I can start in Hong Kong? Are there actually mm -hmm. uh, shops um, or places where you can, you can go and actually uh, buy such a thing? Uh, there are, there are, absolutely. And it's changing fast. Like if we had this conversation two years ago, I would have had a lot shorter list. It's still not very long, but it's definitely getting longer. And the first thing I would suggest to people in Hong Kong wanting to look into secondhand is to be really open-minded and be patient 
Because with secondhand clothing shopping, the item almost picks you rather than you picking it. You're not going to go into a shop and say, I want a pink ball gown right now. Mm-hmm. You're going to find a thousand other things that you may or may not have thought about. And this is where it becomes fun. When clothing is, an ex- is a tool for expression and for fun and not just social signaling and, and financial signaling, then you can start to kind of look at things differently. And if you're confident with what you're doing, people will mm-hmm. believe you. It doesn't matter. You can be wearing Chanel head to toe, but if you're insecure... Nothing's going to save that. So the opposite is also true. So for Hong Kong, I would say that um, I'm a digger I'm an, and I'm a hunter. <laughs> so I like going into the low and inexpensive shops where there's just gems to be found. Mm-hmm. But it's patience and you've kind of got to get used to... Mm-hmm, it, can be a, it, can, it can take a lot of time. So for Hong Kong, I would say Salvation Army is probably my favorite. Super potluckish. And then there's Green Ladies, which is a really nicely organized, very well thought out concept. So they've got a number of different branches as well. So Green Ladies and Salvation Army. And then there's another shop called Me and Guy, mm-hmm. which is kind of like crazy, crazy chaos, uh, like Korean fashion, like piles of clothing. It's insane. But if you, again, dig. There's some really good gems in there. And then at the higher end, Hong Kong is changing. So you've got platforms with pre-loved luxury fashion, which are really beautifully curated and set out. And um, the technology nowadays also allows the brands to be certified through apps and through blockchain. So you can really understand that if you are paying for a secondhand Louis Vuitton handbag, it really is that brand. So they've kind of upped their game and, and crossing all those kind of barriers to entry. So the one I, um, that's really caught my attention is called Hula, the Hula, mm-hmm. and they've got their first standing um, permanent shop space in Wan Chuk Hang. Oh. And it's absolutely beautiful. And Sarah Fung does a fantastic job with not only taking her experience at Lane Crawford and incorporating that into this world of pre-loved luxury fashion. She does a lot of events and talks. So there's a whole community around mm-hmm. it. And there's a whole movement, and within that movement comes a lot of interesting questions and conversations about technology and textiles and fashion and where it's going. Amazing. The secondhand clothing market is actually set to overtake a lot of the fashion buying. Mm-hmm. So there's def- it's coming. I mean, it's just a question of some brands can keep on resisting and pushing or, and be dragged, but that change is coming. So there's also um, Vestier is mm-hmm. coming, or is in Hong Kong as well. That's an online pre-loved luxury fashion platform. So that's really changing. And this is a city that loves luxury. So for those people who don't want to do <laughs> the grimy work I do of going to dig around, um, there's that very air-conditioned, uh, cl- clean and sanitized and very perfect yeah. world as well. Yeah. So for fashion, I would kind of say that's where Hong Kong is right now with mm-hmm. the second hand. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not London and it's not New York, but you know, it's, it's really getting there. And mm-hmm. um, those who are working in those areas are doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And I... And I um, yeah, I get a lot of people super excited and curious, and, and that encourages me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to uh, make sure that all the links are below mm-hmm. uh, so in the, in the show notes so, uh, so we can also yeah. uh, get a list for uh, people who are interested in yeah. uh, maybe trying to uh, explore secondhand. Um, it's, it, as you said, it's, it's, uh, it's probably the first experience is oh my God, there is a lot of stuff, how to find something. Yeah. But you can really find some, some really 
gems, like the beautiful. And you beautiful get, and it gets things. better. You know, you can look at a rack and tell by the textile that this is lower quality, that's good quality. And if you yeah. pick up the cut and the, you look at the brand, it, it gets easier. And as education, Absolutely. and you know, I'm, I'm also thinking of helping people um, becoming like a stylist and helping people taking them on shopping experiences to rethink their style and to try and, and show them like you know this is the best way to do it these are the better areas of these shops these racks are okay and kind of um creating this more uh, approachable experience mm -hmm. and it's not just fashion there's like bulk food shops there's zero waste cosmetics there's uh, vegan cosmetics so the whole Amazing. area is kind of open yeah, 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 yeah absolutely i actually remember my first experience in secondhand shop and that was in poland and it's very related actually to fashion so it's, uh, I, I start to go to secondhand um, shops because you can find some very unique clothing which are great for photo shoots. And as uh, I, I love fashion photography, so I was buying the weirdest, <laughs> the most like wow thing, which you don't want to go maybe on the street, but for photo shoots, for fashion shoots, where you want to do something cool and strange, this is perfect. Absolutely. So actually in point of art, I think this kind of shops can really inspire you and, and get some new ideas. Um, and also you can find, uh, I remember I found some, some also like good brands such as Prada mm -hmm. or Dolce & Gabbana between like some like the cheapest thing ever. <laughs> That's and this is like really exci exciting. It's like, oh my God, I found this piece and it's just so awesome so uh, I think for people who want to also try uh, uh, do some fashion photography uh, it's 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 amazing place to start absolutely to, to do the style and just to get ideas like you say just inspiration like you're mm -hmm. it's such a visual feast that you can just pick up ideas of how things are bunched together or unexpected things and it's not about necessarily buying it. It's just about being exposed to it and to see it yes. and to let your mind keep on staying open and, and engaged. And um, mm -hmm. it's, it, yeah, it's a very rewarding experience. And when you do find that one piece as like a, you know, a, a gem, mm -hmm. it's so rewarding because mm -hmm. you really kind of did the work for it. And, um, and I think that's kind of what fashion should be. It should be joy and it should be pleasure and yes. it shouldn't just be yes, yes, yes. fast food. Definitely. And what about... Um, so you mentioned also cosmetics and food. Um, I guess some grocery stores are better than others. Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, in Hong Kong, there's a lot of people who, who are obsessed about uh, how everything gets clean and everything mm -hmm. should be packed, right? So some supermarkets are, are uh, they just put in plastic absolutely everywhere. And I actually heard that the uh, mission started uh, when, when you saw, uh, I think it was a coconut, uh, which was in plastic. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of horrible to see such a thing. So if you can tell us a bit more about where you are shopping right now. Um, so I really follow a plant-based diet and that kind of excludes a lot of, a lot of big places. But I think that for grocery shopping, Live Zero, mm -hmm. there's Slowwood, there is uh, Just Green, there's The Shop. And then iHerb, which is packaging. But mm -hmm. if you want plant-based plant substitutes for things such as powders and, and vegan options, that's a really nice way to do it. So for real zero-waste packaging, um, Live Zero and Slowwood mm -hmm. are, the, are the obvious ones. Now, there are some more um, local, smaller shops. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I just kind of, I eat a very basic diet, so I kind of, I don't get too sophisticated about what and where and why, and I kind of keep it simple. So I try to eat things that aren't very processed and kind of, basically I live off like a squirrel's food. I eat a lot of nuts and apples. <laughs> which, which it's perpetually satisfying. It's really strange. The combination of almonds and apples, and no matter where you are in the world, chances are pretty good you'll be able to find almonds and apples. So mm -hmm. it's a nice fallback to have, and it just keeps things simple. Mm -hmm. But restaurant-wise, Hong Kong food, plant food scene is, is, is booming. And uh, you've got places like Nectar, which used to be Grassroots Pantry, so Chef Peggy Chan. Yeah. You've got um, Christian doing Treehouse, which is a brand new space. You've got uh, Green Monday David, who's bringing out all the pork-based, uh, plant-based pork options and use it, working with restaurants to put that into the dumplings, to put Omni pork into local dishes. So I can actually go to a lot of Chinese restaurants now and find beyond meat or impossible meat in the local dishes. And that's been absolutely amazing because um, for many years, you, I wouldn't be able to trust, like even if people say there's no meat in it, the broth, the sauce, the... So I would just avoid it. And now I know that if people are paying attention to actually making the effort to put plant-based substitutes in it, then hopefully the rest of it's also yeah, being yeah, respected. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting diet. For people who want to be uh, more um, eco-conscious, but they don't have maybe necessarily too much money to spend. Like from my uh, knowledge, most of the shops you mentioned about, they are a bit more expensive. Um, is there anything which you could recommend for people who want to spend maybe average price, but still uh, kind of be outside of, of the plastic? Because uh, it's kind of funny that to not have plastic on your on your fruits, you need to actually pay much pay more. more for the fruit. Um, I think the wet markets are a good solution to that. Apparently, um, I um, see them using a lot of plastic bags, but they've got a lot less packaging. And I think what you mentioned about Hong Kong being really paranoid about the packaging, it comes from a long history of SARS. It comes from a lot of um, just germophobia. There's been a lot of suffering and a lot of um, fear around that. So you'll see things constantly being disinfected. And, and supermarkets will say they sell more when it's packaged, and that's fair enough. But when you've got bananas on trays with... So it's just gotten so it's ridiculous so that yeah. now it's just kind of like a free-for-all and plastic's obviously way too cheap if you're mm -hmm. putting rotting fruit and vegetables in it. So that kind of is null and void. But uh, just last night I was at a talk um, where Tamsin from Live Zero was explaining that organic food in bulk is actually cheaper because a lot of the organic products in supermarkets, you're paying for the packaging. So 20% of the retail price Absolutely. is in the packaging. So with bulk buying, the advantage is it might appear to be more expensive, but you can actually just buy as much as you need. Mm. So if you wanted to spend five Hong Kong dollars on chia seeds, you can. They're not going to say the minimum is this. So in the long term, if you map it out, the waste is a lot less and it will become cheaper over time as you're bringing your own containers and, and just buying what you need. So the argument can go both ways that it's more expensive or it's not more expensive. Now, I'm not talking about meat because I don't buy meat, mm -hmm. but I should imagine that the dynamics for meat would be perhaps different, but these places don't sell meat anyway. But um, the wet markets is one that I've, that I've heard is a really less expensive option mm -hmm. with less packaging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Perfect. And now, could you share with us a story, story behind... Uh, a project or an artwork which is very close to your heart. Hmm. 
a recent one or a... it can be anything which kind of uh, you mentioned uh, about your, your first uh, uh, project in Hong Kong with the plastic um, bag rolling uh, over the street of Hong Kong uh, is it any other project which uh, which is very close to your heart because because of the mission or because of the, the making process which was so unique for you uh, or you tried something new um, which uh, which brought you to this new new ideas, new concepts? I think everything that I'm doing as of maybe three years ago is, is powerful because I really feel that it's always around environment. And no matter if I try and talk about something else, I'm like a one-trick pony. Every conversation <laughs> comes back to, to that. So it's always meaningful to me because I find that there are so many avenues to, to hook people. Mm -hmm. And if it's around the food or if it's around the fashion or if it's around everyday objects or if it's just about your mindset or talking to people about mental health and environment all of these things are kind of going to the same place and I and I really do um, I'm a biophile I absolutely love the natural world and I always have I've never seen myself as separate from it and everything always gravitates around that and it's just very obvious to me and when I understand that it's not obvious to everybody else I see an opportunity to to learn how to communicate that without telling people mm -hmm. rather inviting them into thinking mm -hmm. a little bit down that rabbit hole of yeah. connection so it's hard to pinpoint one I in, a, in many ways I feel like Alex and I are just getting started on on how we could do things and go with things because it's not really just about photography it's about installations about working with individuals it's about hearing their stories and it's about sharing their stories in their way so it's not necessarily about what we're doing or how we're doing it. It's just a vehicle for everything else. And it's not really about us either. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's important. We can get so wrapped up in, I'm saving the world. I'm, no, you're not really. You are, you know, everybody is, is finding their own avenue in this bigger discourse. And, and that's really all that we're doing and honoring our natural curiosity about aesthetics and the, the visual language around things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess there's not one single project, perhaps it's the projects that are coming that will become more scalable and more visible and, and bigger and, and braver. I think being curious and being open to what could go wrong and what could go right is part of this experience of being creative. And, mm -hmm. and I think there, that's my personal challenge. Consequently, I think the best is <laughs> yet to come. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, for, for people who would like to join you in the venture, uh, I know that you have also, uh, you're one of the co-founder of a community. Could you tell us a bit more about sure. this? So Circular Community Hong Kong was started two and a half years ago, and the original idea was to educate and inspire the public around circular living. Circular living being this idea that um, there is cross-collaboration between different industries to minimize waste and to rethink production models of this, you know, extract, produce, manufacture, manufacture, throw away, repeat, and to kind of move between keeping things in the loop. And when they do leave the loop, how do they integrate into the natural world with the minimum harm? So that is, uh, we started off being a very small group and initially it was a, it was a creative group because they were fashion designers. I have no idea why I was there, but I was. And then it quickly turned into a conversation about circularity and then a lot of different industries joined. So now today we're over 200 people and we're corporate, we're grassroots, we're small, we're NGO, we're educational, Amazing. we're creatives. We're, so it's a really um, great dynamic and it's a great community of very supportive information sharing, um, knowledge sharing, resource sharing. So there's real value in that because um, 
no one person has a particular agenda. It's very open. And I think that when it comes to addressing the challenges we have, collaboration is the only way ahead. And um, so therefore, this comes from a natural, organic space. Uh, I'm so happy to see so many <laughs> new ideas, organizations, communities, uh, which we which share this mission of uh, tackle some small problems, right? And big problems as well, of course. Um, so it's, it's so great that, that uh, you, you, are, you are here, you are here in Hong Kong and, and to see how the city changing and transforming into being more eco-friendly. In the future, well, ho hopefully we'll go on to the beach and uh, we not have this kind of surprise as you, uh, uh, full of trash um, mm. and, and no place to sit because literally, uh, uh, you know, like there is a fridge and uh, you don't have place for your towel. So, um, so which is the situation right now, which is, which is quite sad. Um, are you working on this full time? Like what is your, your timeline? So now um, I've been working on a few different projects. I also write and I do, um, I do speaking engagements as well. So now my, I'd really like to turn this into more of a business model and have mm -hmm. more um, a solid model that we can work on and scale and, and work faster and better mm -hmm. and have the resources in place to, to mobilize quickly and to reach different audiences. Um, since I got back from Burning Man this year, I've just been on this meet new people, go to different places, have different conversations. So consciously, subconsciously, I'm kind of being driven and compelled towards that. And because um, I think that it's wonderful to have supportive community and people but it also can become an echo chamber and if we are trying to, to really inspire and encourage change we need to go broader and bigger and and, and faster because mm -hmm. there's a certain urgency that's been creeping up in the sustainability conversation for a long time but i've really felt it escalate over the last year mm -hmm. there's just this sense of um and be that the statistics of five years five months five hours 15 it's you know you want if you want to argue the timeline and argue the science that's one thing but the it's very clear that everybody is sensing this across the board, the, the stepping up and this escalating of situations. So wherever you sit on the science, that is pervasive. And mm -hmm. if, if the mass, the masses and the, it's reached critical stage with that, then you can only imagine that unfortunately the realities are probably a little bit darker because people tend to hold back a little bit on information sharing. So I've always felt an urgency around it. Mm -hmm. And that's why when people say children are the future, that's a bit unfair. They, why? <laughs> why should it be on them? And why yes, are they the answer? Absolutely. And why is it their calling in life to clean up after everyone else and to just spend their, their youth, their energy, their time cleaning beaches? You know? So I, I, I really encourage everyone to see this as a now, here, us, mm -hmm. wherever you are in your timeline of your life. Mm -hmm. If you're young, middle-aged, older, it's irrelevant. If you're here, mm -hmm. then we have this um, opportunity to rethink how mm -hmm. we do things, mm -hmm. how we do things with each other. And we're, we're, it feels like we're operating on systems that might have made sense 100 years ago, and they probably did, but it's a very different world. There are many more of us. Things have really sped up. We're a lot more clever in some ways to the detriment of a lot of other natural systems. Consequently, to keep on operating, keep on exhausting that model mm -hmm. and putting so many extra burdens on it, mm -hmm. resource-wise, financially, people-wise, it seems really silly. So to really speed up, that transition so you you know organizations like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation are truly um, hope inspiring because they're really working at scale across the board different industries and, and working fast 
So this kind of like Tommy and Tammy will, you know, save the world in 20 years. I think it's going to be a very different world in 20 years. And Absolutely. the speed at which things are moving and we're losing species and land. There's a lot. This isn't really about sustainability anymore. I feel it's about damage control. Mm -hmm. And um, I mm -hmm. think that mm -hmm. is a good thing to communicate without scaring people. But <laughs> yeah, but the, the anxiety, as you said. It's yeah. Like it's just because it's, we can it's be very really... passive hands off and, you know, one day we'll get here. Uh, but there's a lot more at stake. And also, like I mean, of course, the, the, the changing, the transformation is always a bit more expensive, but we pay much, much bigger price if we not do it at all now. Yeah. And we just wait because then it will be, we will not have choice. Uh, so, so yeah, it's good to, to, to do it today, not tomorrow. And as, as you mentioned, like put it on our children. Um, so, um, so yeah, and um, a lot of people are actually listening to the podcast. Uh, to kind of uh, also get inspired how to how to start a project how to how to get the frame so if you can tell us a bit more about the specific time frames uh, or schedule which you have with Alex like how you are starting from the idea to to, to the end of the project so to, to printing the artworks uh, really fast <laughs> really fast yeah it's really fast um, depending on if there's an event that we're or an exhibition or just we do work fast just that's the nature of it. Um, for people wanting to get involved, I would say um, don't be afraid to be as weird about things as, you know, if, there's so many options out there. And if you are really concerned about pink bottle caps on, on soda bottles, it's okay. There's a group out there that will care about that as well. So don't feel like you have to go really big and epic and corporate and have some kind of engineering background. You don't. You just need to be um, open enough to, to say what it is that you care about and the community will come. And, I, and, I, and that's something I've learned over the last two years. And um, there's more support and more connection than there ever has been before. And I guarantee you that whatever you're thinking, something out there exists. And so you can engage with that uh, financially, practically, idea-wise. And if it doesn't exist, put it out there and you will make it exist. So there's huge opportunities for collaborations and for um, getting resources and the support you need. So be vocal. And, and, and I don't mean be aggressive or loud or angry or an activist. It, it doesn't need to be any of that. Just be vocal and say what, what you care about, what, you, what you're interested in, and the rest will come. And Circular Community Hong Kong has a lot of resources, so we are open and it's easy to join us. And through that, you might find your thing. Even if you're just curious, you might find out that you really care about food composting or you really care about um, uh, upcycling fashion or plastic waste. There's something out there. So even if you're just curious, Joins, join an organization, it can be any organization online, there are a lot of resources as well. But you will be amazed how simply by getting active and sometimes getting out of our heads and overthinking the scenarios and the news headlines and the stuff that we're bombarded with, we, if we move into a place of action, how that creates other opportunities for other people as well. And I've learned that just by talking about secondhand fashion, how many other people have felt more interested and curious and, and knowledgeable and, and have fun with it as well. Thank you so much for it because uh, I learned so much. I'm, I'm not uh, usually uh, reading too much about this topic and, and it's so great to see uh, how it's evolving quickly uh, and, and how many organizations and communities are there. 
and and everyone, as you said, like if you are if, if you care about plastic, go with plastic. If you care about composting, go for it. Like if you want to just know uh, how to eat healthier and maybe use less of of this not recyclable materials. You, you can do that as well. So, so this is just really, really cool. Um, so last but not least, it's very important where your fans can find you offline and online. So if you can tell us if you have any speeches uh, upcoming mm. or if you, uh, of course, like if you can let us know about your website and any other platform you are on. Sure. So I'm on Instagram and I'm on, I'm building a website as we speak. I don't have any upcoming talks um, yet. But where are we? We're in September. I will keep you posted and I'll share links with you. And um, I know that there's stuff coming up, but I can't quite pinpoint it right now. But for sure, Alex and I are we're building a new website for a new project. So hopefully that will be up and running in a couple of weeks. So um, we'll share a lot more information. And by all means, get in touch with me through my Instagram. And um, I'm happy to connect people and to direct them and to just have a chat about anything that they're thinking. Because like I said, this is a wonderful time in many ways to be concerned about these things. Because never before have we had more connection and resources and care. So I see it as an opportunity to think differently. And that's never a bad thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, Anya. It was such a pleasure to, to talk, to chat with you. And uh, I look forward to, to your new projects. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, uh, I will make sure that all the links are in the show notes. So if you want to, uh, to get all the information we mentioned about, just go to the show notes and, and it should be all there. Um, thank you so much for your time. And see you soon. Yes, thanks so much. I really enjoyed it and it's been a pleasure and I'm so happy and excited to be able to connect with different communities. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As well, if you like the video, please uh, thumbs up. If you want to hear more of this kind of content, please subscribe to my channel, subscribe to the podcast and talk to you soon. Bye.